Good to see you guys. Welcome to Savior. I see a lot of new faces uh, today. Uh, for those of you who who don't know me, um, or you only know me as the announcements guy, uh, I'm Jason. I'm one of the overseers here at Savior Community Church. Uh, I am married to Hannah, who I believe she is with our son, Owen, right now. Uh, Owen is turning two in a couple weeks, and uh, we've got a second one on the way in April. Woohoo! Uh, let's see, I do uh, graphic design, uh, that's what I do to pay the bills, that's what I do to feed my family. Um, I went to, I don't know if there are any Biolans in here, I went to Biola many, many years ago. Uh, yeah, going to Bible college to study graphic design, that's a recipe for success, right? It turned out pretty good, it turned out okay, I, I thank God for my, my time there. Um, so that's a little bit uh, about me. Uh, why don't we pray, and then we'll get into to God's Word, okay? God, this is, uh, this is your time. And I think for a lot of us, uh, Sunday and, and church, um, it's routine and it's just what we do. Um, but God, we want to be here with a spirit of expectation, um, believing that uh, you speak, God, you speak uh, through your word. And so, Lord, would you soften our hearts? Uh, would you make our hearts uh, receptive uh, to the truth that you have to teach us, the timeless truth that we find in the scriptures. Lord, would you use me? Uh, would my words be clear and concise and accurate? And uh, yeah, would, would we be blessed here today because of you? In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, if you are joining us for the first time today, which uh, quite a few of you are, we are currently in a uh, overseers uh, series. And so the five of us, the five overseers, uh, we are taking turns speaking, and hopefully you guys have enjoyed uh, hearing from different voices in the last couple weeks. And uh, just as a tease, uh, I am really excited for Rand's next sermon series, uh, which is coming up in a couple weeks. Um, and so definitely be here um, for that. Um, our current series is called Convictions. Um, and each of the overseers uh, has been sharing a verse or a passage that has, has made the difference uh, in their lives, a, a truth um, that has been formative uh, in their faith journey, uh, a, a truth that has uh, been foundational for them. And so as I, as I thought about my turn to speak and, um, gosh, what am I going to talk about? Because uh, it's hard to zero in on, the, on a single verse or a single passage. Um, I kept going back and forth uh, between a few and... Uh, the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, and the more I listened to the guys that came up here, I, I didn't want to overlap with the things that they were talking about. Um, and I felt it was, it was just really important um, to be specific, uh, to be vulnerable, um, and maybe hone in on something that, that I personally have been struggling with, um, and, and how scripture and how this passage is, is convicting me uh, and making a difference uh, in my life. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn to John 21, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and just hold it there for a second. John 21. Um, before we get into the text, I turned 40 
last month. I know you guys are like, what? No way, right? <laughs> like 28 tops, right? Um, I turned 40, man, uh, and that's just a super weird thing to say. Um, and 40 is kind of like, it's kind of like the halfway point, right? It's kind of like the halfway point uh, of your life. Uh, and whenever you hit the halfway point uh, of something, that's kind of when you assess the situation, right? Um, if you take like a long road trip uh, somewhere, you stop halfway, right, to fill the gas tank, and you get out of the car, you, you know, check tires, check under the hood, and, uh, you know, you assess the situation, right? You make sure everything is cool for the rest of the journey. Uh, sports, right? Sports, you have halftime, and then halftime, everyone goes into the locker room, uh, the coach talks about what worked in the first half, what we need to work on, right? Um, and he assesses the situation. He assesses the first half, and he makes adjustments for the second half, and they come out. Uh, I used to be, uh, emphasis on used to be, I used to be somewhat of an avid cyclist. Um, and one of the most challenging uh, rides I ever did was I did a, it was this organized ride uh, up to Mount Baldy the top of Mount Baldy. Uh, a lot of you have hiked Mount Baldy. Uh, cycling to the top of Mount Baldy is like a billion times uh, more difficult. And so the ride is you go to the top of Mount Baldy, you ride back down, which is awesome, and then you ride back up again, and then you come back down. And so the whole thing is 100 miles. Um, I, it starts like in Glendora, and then you ride. It's like 100 miles, the whole thing. Um, but... Uh, so I get to the top, right, um, and it was, like, literally the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. I want to throw up, like, ten times. <laughs> um, and then I came down, which is awesome. And at that point, right, you're, like, at the halfway, you're at the halfway point, and you have a choice. You have a choice to, to go back up for the second half, go back up, come back down, that's the finish. Uh, or you can go back, <laughs> go back to the base at that point, okay? Uh, I went back to the base. Like, there's the, I assessed the situation, right? <laughs> And my body was just like, there's no way you can do it, right? Um, and so, yeah, since uh, turning 40, you know, I've been asking myself a lot of questions. And what do I want my life to be about kind of in this second half? Um, what do I want to accomplish? Um, what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind for my family, uh, for my church? Um, and as I thought about kind of the second half, right, you can't help but think back, right? You think to the first half of your life and the 40 years up to now. And as I was thinking about that, you know, um, a lot of just regrets started coming to mind. You know, I was thinking about some of the poor choices I made when I was younger, uh, some of the regrets, um, academic regrets, uh, professional regrets. Um, I think about my family. I think about the ways I could have been a better son uh, to my parents, to, to my immigrant parents. Um, I think about ways I could have been a better brother, a better big brother. I have one younger brother. My brother is has been in and out of jail. Uh, he is a recovering heroin addict. And I'm like, man, maybe, maybe if I was a better Big brother, you know, when we were young, you know, he would have been okay. Um, I think about my faith, right? I think about, gosh, the ways that, that I failed God 
when I was young, uh, times that I chose to serve myself instead of serving God, uh, times where I didn't love his church uh, like he does, um, times where I was like just cowardly about my faith. Um, and so I think about that, and I'm like, man, I, I don't know if this is where I hope to be at 40. Um, and, and there are days, there are days where I'm tempted to compare myself with others, to compare myself with other people who are 40, right? And how do I measure up? How do I stack up with them, right? And it's like, oh, man, I'm 40, and I should probably own a house, but I don't. Like, my family rents out a room. At this, it's a really nice room, you know, at this old lady's house. And it's like, oh, man, there's people, like, 10 years younger than me, and they're buying homes. And it's just like, oh, man, should I be, like, at another level, you know, by now? Like, should I be making more money at this point in my career? Should I be at a certain position? And, um, you know, I got married late, too. I got married when I was 35. It's like, oh, man, like, should I have gotten married younger? You know, and uh, I don't. I love my wife. <laughs> um but yeah, there's just this innate, you just compare yourself to other people, and especially kind of when you get to these milestones, right? And you don't have to be 40. Like, like all of us, like, like you know the feeling, right? Just like, it's like comparing yourself to the Joneses, right? Um, and so uh, let's go to our text. Let's jump into that text finally, John 21. And uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, one of the disciples, uh, he is front and center in this story. And Peter is a guy that I can relate to. I think Peter is a guy that, that all of us uh, can relate to because he too, um, if you know your Bible, he has made some poor uh, choices. He has made some poor life choices. He too has uh, some regrets. Um, and we'll kind of see here in this story that, that he's at a crossroads too um, in his life. Okay, uh, To give you a little bit of background uh, on this, uh, so Jesus was crucified uh, just a few days ago. Uh, all the disciples, all his close friends bailed on him, and they all went back to their pre-Jesus lives, basically. Peter went back to fishing. Like, everyone was just kind of doing their own thing. They're like, oh, my gosh, everything he said, like, like he's dead now, right? It, it, it's over. And so everyone, like, but Jesus was like, I'm going to come back to life and, and, and do this, and, and it just... Right, went over their heads, and so they just went back to, to their lives. But Jesus resurrects. He comes back to life. Uh, God raises them from the dead, and Jesus starts appearing uh, to his disciples. And so this story here, this is the, the third time, the third time that Jesus shows up uh, in the disciples' midst. Okay, So verse 15, we're going to start from verse 15. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh, more than these means, do you love me more than the other disciples do? Okay, not like, do you love me more than the fish reading? Okay, um, do you love me more than everyone else, right? Than, than all your friends. Okay. And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, yes, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, uh, feed my lambs, right? take care of the people, take care of my people, give them the word. Uh, Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And Jesus said to him, again, tend my sheep. Okay, take care of my people. And then Jesus said to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter says to him, and he's probably a little exasperated by now, right? He's like, dude, come on. Yeah. Uh, Lord, you know everything. All right, so Peter recognizes Jesus' deity. Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I'll uh, pause there. Um, and so, um, if you know the gospel, right, um, as Jesus was uh, arrested and in a, a mock trial, right, um, Peter was confronted right, by people and saying, hey, like, aren't you one of the disciples, you know? And, uh, and Peter's like, no, 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 I don't know, right? And, Jesus, and then Peter denies Jesus three times. And so here, uh, right, it's kind of poetic. Jesus is asking Peter three times, uh, do you love me? Right? Do you love me? And I think, you know, if you've been to the church, right, like you've read John and you've read this passage, but uh, I think this is something that kind of <laughs> we need to sit on sometimes. And I feel like if you've been a Christian a long time, like we don't ask ourselves this, this basic question, do you love Jesus? Because it's like, it's like an assumption. Oh, of course I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. You know, I believe the gospel and I believe Jesus died for me and you know, I come to church and, um, but if you, if you look at your life, like how would you gauge the temperature of how you feel about Jesus? Like, do you love Jesus? I think a lot of us think Jesus is cool, right? Like Jesus is awesome. Um, come to church, like we like church. Um, I mean, you're here because you like church. You, you're here because you like the people at church. But if you like stripped all that stuff away, how much do you love Jesus? Like the man Jesus. Like is there an actual like affection? Like, like an emotional affection, not just like, Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to love Jesus because he died for me and because he's God, right? Like during the day, do you think about Jesus? Do you think about what he's done? And then does, does that like do something? Does that like trigger something inside you? Does that, you know, does something well up there that motivates you to, to obey him? Um, verse 18 so Jesus asked Peter three times, hey, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, 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 I love you. Um, and Jesus says this, right? He says, truly, truly, uh, whenever you see truly, truly, like repeating words in the scriptures, that, that just means pay attention. Okay, what Jesus is about to say is really important. All right, like perk up. Uh, truly, truly, Peter, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Um, this is interesting, right? Like, they're kind of on this good moment. Hey, Peter, like, do you love me? And... 
He's like, yes, and then Jesus is like, okay, like feed my sheep, right? And, and it's almost kind of like Jesus is reinstating Peter, right? He's just like, I know you betrayed me, but I get it. You love me, and so I'm going to, you're going to be like the de facto leader of the church. Okay, I'm going to build my church through you, he says. Um, and so Peter's like, okay, I'm, I'm back in Jesus' good graces, right? Like, like, let's do this. Let's go, you know? And then Jesus, like, drops this bomb on him. Um, when you were young, you used to dress yourself. and Like, you did whatever you wanted before. Um, but you're going to suffer, actually. Right? And so Peter's probably like, oh, what? Right? And Jesus says, okay, let's go. Let's go. Follow me. So they go for a walk. Okay, verse 20. And so Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, that is John. Um, I like how John, who wrote this letter, is keen to identify himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, so Peter sees John kind of tagging along. Uh, he was, John was the one who had leaned back during the, the, the supper uh, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? John asked that question uh, during the Last Supper. And when Peter saw him, yeah, I remember what Jesus just told him, right, about the life, about what's going to happen to him in the future. Peter sees John, and he says to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about John? What about this dude, right? Is he also going to have his hand stretched out and be carried where he does not want to go? Is he going to go through the same stuff? And Jesus says to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Okay, Jesus said, if it's my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? What do you care? You follow me. Jesus recommissions Peter. Right? Jesus is, is, is going to establish the church through Peter. All right, he's making good on that promise. Uh, he tells Peter to feed the sheep. Right? Go, go feed people with God's word. Uh, go spread the gospel, right? And like I said, Peter's like feeling good, right? I messed up when I denied Jesus. Okay, but now he, was, he still wants to use me for his kingdom. Hey, I'm back. I'm back. Disciple number one. Um, but yeah, he says, look, there was this time where you did what you wanted and your life was driven by self-interest and that's not going to be the case in the future. Uh, you're going to be led into these scenarios where you don't want any part of, and, and God's interests are going to trump your self-interest. Um, this whole idea of being his, his hand stretched, uh, some historians say uh, Peter was crucified. Uh, some say he was crucified upside down, um, and that Peter actually requested that he be crucified upside down uh, so that he could suffer more. Um, and so if he was crucified, that would totally line up with what Jesus said, that he's going to stretch out his hands. And so think about, like, if you're Peter, okay? Like, talk about the tables being turned, okay? One minute you're, like, you're totally geeked. You're on cloud nine, right? You're back on the good side. Uh, you're made the leader of the church. And then Jesus says, you're going to suffer, and die like this horrible death for me. Follow me into that. 
And I wonder if Peter in that instance is like, can I take the, the quiz again? <laughs> can I take the do you love me quiz again? Like maybe I'm going to answer differently. Okay. Um, and it's interesting, right? Like, like Peter says, what about John? All right, what about John? And Jesus says, don't worry about John. Okay, what I'm going to do with John has nothing to do with you. You follow me. And, and here is the truth, right? Here is the truth that has made a difference, that is making a difference uh, that I want to impart to you today. Uh, this is the truth that I am wrestling with. Uh, but it is also a truth that is setting me free. Um, and it's this. Commit and don't compare. Okay? Slide up. Commit and don't compare. This is a, a one-point sermon. Okay. When you compare yourself to other people, what happens is you commit to the thing that you're comparing yourself to. Okay? When you compare yourself to other people or other things, you commit to that thing that you're comparing yourself to. So you're aligning yourself with that thing or person in a negative way, okay? and you're actually detaching yourself from Jesus. Okay? Because you're saying, I don't trust you, Jesus. Right? You're not enough, Jesus. You're not satisfying me, Jesus. Because if I had this thing, or if I had that other person's life, I would be content. Uh, I want you to do an exercise in your mind right now. I'm going to ask you two questions. Uh, First question. What does your ideal life look like? Give you about 20 seconds to think about it. What does your ideal life look like? This is not an exhaustive list, but some things that I thought thought about. Um, Your ideal life looks like you have a significant other that kind of ticks all the boxes. Ideal life, you have a satisfying job, a nice income, have some disposable income for your hobbies. In your ideal life, you have a nice house, in a nice part of town. In your ideal life, probably every relationship you have is harmonious, like your relationship with your family and with your friends, and things are good. In your ideal life, right, it's probably good health, right? Good health for you, good health for your loved ones. Now I want you to think about what does your actual life look like? Okay, what does your actual life look like? And think about that for about 20 seconds. 
Maybe in your actual life, your significant other, they don't take all the boxes. Maybe you don't have a significant, maybe you're single and you're just sick and tired of people asking you when you're going to get married. Maybe in your actual life, you hate your job. Uh, You're getting paid way under industry standards. And all your money goes to bills. Or worse, maybe you're unemployed. You can't find a job. Uh, Maybe in your actual life, you live in a crappy apartment, a crappy part of town. Your car gets broken into In your actual life, maybe your relationships are are fractured and embittered. Like you have drama and and beef with people. There's people you need to forgive, but you won't, and vice versa. Maybe in your actual life, yeah, maybe you're sick. Or you have family who's sick. My dad was um, recently diagnosed with, with lung cancer, all right? And then we're trying to navigate through that, and he's not a believer, all right? And just praying for him. You look at what is the ideal life, right, the life that you want, and what is your actual life. I think for every one of us, there's like a gap there, right? Maybe some of us, that gap's not that big. Maybe some of us, just that gap's huge. And for some of us, there's, there's just a lot of pain and a lot of heartache in that gap, right? And with that, there's a temptation to, to get angry at God to complain, to grumble. It's like, not fair. To covet, to envy, to want someone else's life. That's kind of our natural response. And so when we look at John 21, right, and we see Peter's response, um, that story is totally relatable, right? Like when he says, like, I'm going to get crucified? Like, I'm doing the work. I'm like going and, and, and preaching the gospel and, and trying to build the kingdom and, and get people saved. And I'm going to suffer? Not just suffer, I'm going to get crucified? And we see that response, and, and it's totally relatable, right? It's like, that's not a good deal. That's not, I want, I want what, what John's having. Give me some of that, right? Like, what about him? I think we want to follow Jesus as long as it's not hard. I think we want to live for Jesus as long as it's not hard. I think we want to participate in the kingdom as long as it's not hard. 
want to advance the gospel and evangelize and as long as it's not hard. The life you have, I said this was a one-point sermon, I guess this is kind of like a second point, (laughs) okay? The life you have is unique for the sake of advancing the gospel. Key in on this, the life that you have, your actual life, your actual past and history and all that stuff, is unique for the sake of advancing the gospel. Okay. It's not chance, right? That, that, to be clear, okay, there is some painful stuff that some of us have gone through in this room. Uh, you know, you read passages, right? Like God works all things for good, you know, for those who love Him. The bad things are not good, okay? Right? Like, like, like if somebody's sick in your family, that's not good. Okay? If you've been abused, that's not good. Okay? That's not what it's saying. It's saying that from those bad things, from evil, right? Like those things can be redeemed. Those things can be used. Um, those can be tools for ministry. And so uh, I just want to make that clear because I think sometimes it's like, Everything's awesome. This terrible thing that happened to me. Praise God. Right? There's not going to be abuse in heaven. There's not going to be fighting in heaven. Okay? God didn't create that when he designed the world and, and he made it good. Okay? Those are all results of the fall. Those are all results of sin. Okay? But, right? All of that stuff, right? can be used to advance the gospel. Your life, your experiences, your past. Those can all be tools that God ministers through. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, around elementary school age, um, my dad, he developed a serious gambling addiction a serious gambling addiction, and it wrecked our family financially. Uh, he would disappear for days at a time, right? He would just kind of go on gambling escapades. He'd go to Vegas for days at a time to just local casinos. Uh, and then when he did come home, when he was at home, there would just be awful fights with my mom. Uh, because we had money issues, uh, we struggled to pay rent. Um, and I remember uh, just this, this anxiety that would just come over me when our landlord would come over and, and, and she would threaten to evict us. Right? Like, an, like an eight-year-old shouldn't feel that kind of anxiety. And I remember often wishing... I wish I had a different family. I wish I had my friend's parents. I wish I had my friend's dad. I remember just wishing for another life. Feeling like, man, it's not fair. 
And yeah, no, no child should have to grow up in a chaotic home. And, you know, God, he designed family to, to be the place where, where children see the character of God firsthand from their parents, right? That's how God made it, the family unit. Um, and, and that wasn't my experience. That wasn't my experience. Me and Hannah, we're, we're trying, you know, to create that in our family now. Um, the reason I share that, uh, I, I served in youth group uh, for about 10 years or so. Uh, a couple of those years as the youth pastor. Um, and it sucked to see how many kids in my youth group were a product of broken homes. Either their parents were divorced or like the dad was not in the picture or he was just kind of like absentee dad. But because I had experienced something similar, because I had experienced that growing up, I was able to use that. I was able to empathize. Right? I was able to connect with those kids. I was able to say, hey, man, that sucks. That sucks your dad isn't around. Okay, but, but I love you. Right? I'm interested in your life. And, and there's a heavenly father Right? And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. And point them, point them to God. I don't know why, why God, um, yeah, allows some of us to to, to go through um, deep hardship, and, and others He doesn't, right? Like, again, Peter, he allows him to suffer and be crucified at the end of his life, and, and John, not so much. And, um, but I think about what Paul, the Apostle Paul, said um, in his letter to the Philippians. Right, when, when I think about, I don't know why, okay, I don't know why God allows it. Um, Paul's writing this from prison to the Philippian church. Can we get that verse up on the board? So Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, him being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, all over the jail, and so all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul's able to magnify Christ and preach Christ in prison. Uh, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see how Paul's life was unique for the sake of advancing the gospel? What if instead of that, right, what if instead of Paul committing to Christ and committing to the gospel, sharing the gospel, what if Paul spent all his time comparing his life to, to other, other teachers and other evangelists? And right? actually, the verse, I don't have this verse up, okay, but the verses that, that follow this verse, okay, talking about the, these other 
uh, uh, teachers and stuff, these other preachers, he says, I'm rooting for those guys. Like while in prison, I'm rooting for those guys. And he says, I don't know if these guys have the best motives, these other, these other preachers, okay? But at least they're sharing the gospel, okay? And so, so I'm down. Like, like, what is that, right? Like, he's like, oh, man, like, they should be in here, and I should be out there, right? It's like, they're not even as good as me, you know? Like, I'm, I'm Paul, you know? I'm, like, anointed. Um, <laughs> but he's in prison. He's stuck in prison, and he's just sharing the gospel with everyone there. And he's saying, you know what, like, I mean, I'm hearing about these other guys preaching the gospel. I don't know. Their motives seem kind of self-selfish, but at least they're preaching the gospel. And it says he rejoiced. He was happy about that. All right. Paul knew his, his circumstances were unique for the sake of advancing the gospel, and so he embraced it. When you're committed to Christ... Uh, you don't compare, right? Commit, don't compare. Uh, this crazy thing happens, right, when you're committed to Christ. Okay, not only do you not, you stop comparing yourself to other people and looking at what they're doing and competing with them and right, being envious and jealous, right? When you're committed to Christ, you actually start lifting other people up. Okay? Um, in Philippians 2, next verse, this is Paul again. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Right? Now you're no longer like envious of people or like comparing yourself. Like, like you're building them up. Like you want God for them. You want them to grow. You want them to flourish. And that only happens. That, that, that attitude, that heart, that can only happen if you're committed to Christ. Paul has the heart of someone committed to, to advancing the gospel. Going back to the story uh, in John with Peter and Jesus and John. Jesus tells Peter, okay, you're, you're going to die a martyr's death. And Peter says, what about John? Uh, we know from right, earlier in John, uh, Jesus gives John a very specific job. Right? Jesus tells John, you're going to take care of my mom. It's like, oh, why are you asking John? To, like, you have siblings, don't you, Jesus, to take care of? Um, Jesus' siblings, his brothers and sisters, they didn't come to faith until afterwards, right? So I don't think Jesus didn't really trust his siblings at that point, but he trusted John, right? Like John was a disciple that he loved, right? And so he charged John, please take care of my mom. Like that's, that's your thing. That's your ministry. And talk about two very different callings, right? Two very different plans, two very uh, different paths, Right, one guy is sent to the front lines to preach the gospel, to face all kinds of persecution, and the other was told, stay home, take care of mom. 
And on the surface, that like looks like a win for John, right? But, and this is, this is just, this is me. This is, this is me kind of imagining, right? But I wonder if John, I wonder if John ever yearned to be out there. I wonder if John ever wanted to be where Peter was on the front lines, sharing the gospel, even just <laughs> getting persecuted maybe, just the thrill of it, right? Seeing people get saved, like, like seeing like the gospel in action, lives changing. I wonder if John ever wanted that. I wonder if he just got tired of staying at home and taking care of this old lady, going to the market, and probably actually got really old, like really having to take care of her, probably helping her go to the bathroom. It's like, oh man, Peter, he's out there doing cool stuff. And I wonder if Peter also, you know, like just on super bad days, right, where it was just intense and He's being beaten, and I wonder if he pined for home, right, on those days. It's like, oh, man, I miss my friends. I miss my home church. Or at least thought about it. I think you look at both those guys, right? And, and they ran the race well. They finished well, okay? Um, Peter was martyred for his faith. Uh, John, <laughs> after his assignment, uh, he went on and he wrote epistles. He wrote Revelation. Um, but when that temptation comes for us, right? Think, oh, man, like, wish I had that guy's life. I wish I had her life. I want you to remind yourself to commit, to recommit to Christ. Remember that just like Peter, if you're a believer, you've been commissioned by Jesus to advance the gospel. Right? Like Jesus is asking you, hey, do you love me? You're like, yes, go feed my sheep. You're commissioned by God to, to advance the gospel. And whether your path is like Peter's or John's, that's up to God. You know, oh, I want Peter's life. I want John's life. Right? And what happens when you do that? What happens when you compare? What happens when you covet? Right? You forget God. You're saying, I don't trust you, God. I want that life. You got it wrong, God. You messed this one up. You're not sovereign. You're not perfect. Your plan, you don't love me. Remember, God's plan is perfect. God's sovereign, okay? He's orchestrating everything for our good, for his glory. Right? When you commit, right? Remember that your life, your story is unique. I know maybe it seems like, ah, my life is just it's plain and stuff. No, your, your life is unique. Okay, God is the author of your life. 
it's his, his providence is all over your life. Everything that's happened up to this point, everything that will happen, and all of that is for the sake of advancing the gospel through you. Commit to Jesus. Fight the temptation to compare yourself to others. That's a life that glorifies God. Okay, let's pray. God, we uh, just find ourselves oftentimes satisfied with, with lesser things. I think our heads are turned by, by the world. Uh, we're eager to, to satisfy our flesh and those cravings. And yet, God, you have so much more for us. God, would you be big in our lives? God, would, would the gospel, would that never just be old news? Every day, would we reflect on Christ and what he's done and his love for us and would that stir up affections in our heart would that move us would everything just pale in comparison to knowing Christ and living for him God we don't want to be people who are looking at others and, and comparing our lives and that just leads to a dead end. That just leads to, to pain and destruction and emptiness. God, you alone satisfy. You alone quench that thirst and that longing. So we want to commit to you. When that temptation arises, we want to commit to you you're the fountain of life. God, we thank you for this time. Uh, we thank you for your word. Um, that always speaks to us. That always challenges us. That always encourages us. Help us to be steadfast and committed to you the rest of this week. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.